to deliver with fast feedback loops and count on fast feedback loops and rely and use those as part of the way you deliver. That's a big, that's a, that's a jump. That's a, that's a lockstep jump in your maturity and your capability and your quality. Welcome to AB testing podcast, your modern testing podcast, your hosts, Alan and Brent will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Uh, yeah, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And that was the AB Testing Podcast. Thanks, everybody. All right. No, no. I, I got it backward. I got it backward. I'm confused. This is welcome. Welcome to the AB Testing Podcast. Oh. I thought we were just doing one really short this time. Actually, I like the shorter podcast, but that may be a little bit too short. A little bit too short. It is, I'm going to touch on something. I have so many things to talk about and share with our audience. I promise as usual, by 10 minutes in, we're going to get to the regular topics. But uh, So I will time box that. But how have you been, Brent? What's going on with you? Anything new and exciting in your world? We're just a few weeks away from reward release. Wait, are, is Microsoft doing rewards this year? I thought there was something like they weren't. Well, uh, they claim they are. I mean, no one's getting a raise. Um, oh, so, but you're getting like the, the normal Microsoft bonuses, et cetera. Well, that's the question. Or, or maybe. Some or people. maybe. Yeah. Um, Should Hunger Games it? Uh, Just put yeah. a pile of money and let people fight it out. Uh, being old and out of shape, I, I'm, I'm certain I don't like that idea. No, you could do it like do it a Microsoft way. Do it like an elite code competition to see who. No, don't even do that. That would be dumb. All right. Well, that's always exciting. That is always the fun part. You know, peak in May, as they say, as I've said. Right. <laughs> we are in the middle of July. It has been w- Seattle warm here in the 80s. Yeah. Do you have AC? I do. I Well, I do and I don't. And I'll get to that in a minute. No. Dun, right. dun, dun. Hey, it, it is. But before I get to that, are you ready for this weekend? Yes. No. Maybe. Why do you ask? So I have seen the meme around how effed up this weekend's going to be if you, yeah. If yeah. you leave, live or intend to go to Seattle. I, along with five teenagers, will be at the Taylor Swift concert tomorrow. Oh, okay. So are you are you leaving right after this podcast? No, uh, I <laughs> no. I actually it was cheapest way to do it was to book a flight from Seattle, which is uh, the airport south of Seattle, up to Vancouver, Canada, and jump out of the plane partway through and parachute to the stadium. Because there's That's no it. other way to get downtown because there's a Mariners game at the same time. Oh, no, you do not understand. I'm going to load up it, one of my all stuff. All I'm saying, we don't, while Brent is bringing up his, his webpage of information for me, yeah, it's going to be a wild weekend in Seattle. It's going to be hot. It's going to be, I don't know how, well, I do know how we're going to get to the stadium, but I feel like, oh, it'll be after the show by the time people hear this. So uh, going to get on the light rail somewhere. Not sure where, but somewhere because they're running uh, extra trains. That's going to be the way in. Uh, I don't know the closest. And likely rail. from the south. Because I, I think I be- normally do light rail from from Northgate Mall. Yeah, that's an option. I just feel like thirty thousand people going to the concert who live anywhere on the north end of Seattle and and, nor- and north from there will be taking light rail from the Northgate Mall. And this is uh, Brent's ceiling of his office. Okay, he's showing 
there's a thing, there's a, a, a little map cartoon drawing thing that shows that there are 87,000 different events going on. One of the bridges is closed. It's going to be wild. And I'm going to be part of that wildness. I will let you know how it goes. I will yeah. let you know. In two weeks when we record again, I will let you know what so- happened <laughs> as I brought five teenagers to a Taylor Swift concert and survived. Or, and you- or, or this is the last podcast ever. You're doing this Saturday? Saturday, yeah. Okay. So Taylor Swift, Saturday. Uh, Mariners game, Saturday. Bite of Seattle all weekend. The Seattle Storm, Saturday. Uh, the bridge is out. Let's see what else. Yeah, for the first time since 2019, Seattle will look like it's an actual city where people are. And apparently Capitol Hill's having a block party on Saturday. Yep, yep. So, uh... Speaking of Cap Hill, uh, I have mentioned many times before, segue, uh, on this podcast that once, uh, and and probably to you more times, that the plan has always been to get the hell out of suburbia as soon as the youngest child goes off to college. Yes. Getting out of, uh, getting out of the burbs, uh, bought a house on Capitol Hill. Oh, okay. You so did the new. So we're going from a twenty a house built in twenty eighteen to a house built in nineteen oh four. I was going to say eighteen twenty. <laughs> so no, no AC currently in the new house. But by the time we move in, which will be September, we're kind of past the major heat. So I'll deal with that later. But uh, excited, going to be going to be fun. It just kind of happened. We're doing kind of the casual looking and maybe this house. No, maybe this house. No. Well, this one, if we can, well, we'll put it off around. What the heck? And and it worked out. So we're good to go. And uh, closing nice. like August, middle of August, end of August sometime. We're going to plan. I got to, I got to move in before September 13th or so, because I'm going on that walk around Mount Rainier in uh, September. We want to get it done before then. Yeah. So that's exciting and new. That is exciting and new. I mean, it's it's not a a goal I share. No, I, a lot of people don't want to be in Seattle. You know, I spent so much of my life there. I want to go back. And I and here's the deal. We originally thought we'd move back downtown. And this was the plan back in the 20 teens when people actually lived in downtown. And it just, this is don't. It's a ghost town except for this weekend. So some, maybe someday, maybe someday still. So uh, for those who don't know the geography, Capitol Hill is, you know, it's a 20 minute walk from downtown, but it's just up one of the hills and it, it's doing okay. Recovering from the pandemic, a few places have closed down, but there are still a good number of excellent restaurants and, and bars and cool places to walk gyms and grocery stores that are, that are walkable parks, et cetera. So it should be pretty good. That's it. And we're, we're only about eight and a half minutes in. So should we go ahead and, uh, talk about subjects people care about or anything else you want to cover uh yeah we could do that i mean that that'll be fun and new oh uh, to do like a podcast about stuff about yeah. a- a's yeah, 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 and b's yeah. and testings exactly all right well i an article title caught my eye this week it was called is software testing a dying profession and we have different answers, and we've talked about our answer a lot. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. The article didn't really go into that. It said it's going away because of codeless automation and DevOps and agile development. How old is agile now? 
it's it, it's it, it's it could, it's old. It can buy it, a it can buy a beer, right? We could be yeah, absolutely. We could be its father. Again, to argue against this article, agile development agile development around for a long time, and this is what you and I saw. So it's interesting that you and I saw fifteen years ago. Hey, this is going to make the need for a dedicated spe- testing specialist less. So we began A/B testing and modern testing, and, and we wanted to talk about this transition for a lot of people. But we haven't seen that change happen in the last fifteen years, and it could be happening, but it's not happening at a, a pace. Well, at any pace, it's happening, but not at a pace that's impacting testers because so many companies are, again, ba- maybe based on context, maybe based on legacy, they're happy to test the old way. I don't want to work that way anymore, but I think testing will continue to exist. AI and machine learning and testing. And again, my line is AI isn't taking away anyone's job. People that know how to use AI are. Yes. Again, the. When we started this podcast, I could do it now. Uh, Monster.com. When we started this podcast, one of the things I noted was uh, there were still COBOL jobs. Um, I, I bet there still are. And just a quick search shows that there still are. I was right. right. Yeah. Mainframe developer. It was just opened one day ago. I I may or may not know someone on the podcast who's working at a company that has AS four hundreds. Just um, as an aside. Oh, well, you and I have worked on AS four hundreds, and or at least I have. The question is, I think of it kind of like do you remember limits in math class? Yes, I do. Holy cow! Right. It, it limits. I do, like I, I, I've forgotten most of math, but I remember those limits. Right? It's this concept that it never actually reaches this number, but um, we might as well call it. It's that value. Yes. Right? Yes. Testing will never actually be dead, but do I think it will be at a point where we might as well just call it that? Probably. I think that's interesting, and I think well. On one hand, that would be my belief based on what we've seen. I think it's slow. I think it will ebb and flow. And the people that – so I want to talk about the article first and the reaction to it. And then yeah. so the article is a little bit straw manish, and that's fine. I'm glad to see it brought up. I also feel like it's a little clickbaity because it's almost written to get the reactions from people who make their living, not just being testers, but being trainers and workshoppers and people who make their money off of people who do software testing full-time every day and only, only software testing. So it hits them right in the pocketbook. So they made, and what I saw, and I'm not going to recap names or comments, but what I what's interesting, I thought it was a straw man article. And the comments to the article I saw were largely straw man reactions. Well, that uh, could never be true because of this thing that's only true for me. Like, right. Nuh-uh. Or, or, well, what about medical devices and finance? Yeah, I got you. <laughs> what, what about NASA? What about airplanes? And, you yeah. know, all the stuff. Like, if someone's going to die, you know, blah, blah, blah. So let me bring up, this is hot off not the agenda. There's another Slack I'm in. And I don't know if anybody on that Slack listens to this podcast, but there's a testing channel there that I usually ignore. And then someone brought up, so it started with a comment on 
how Cyprus may not be in, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but may not be in business long-term because uh, they're just, their model, and Cyprus is one of the UI automation tools. It's I like it certainly better than Selenium, but they may not be actually creating enough revenue to keep it going. I'm not quite sure what how much truth is there, whether it was opinion or whatever, but the, uh, the Twitter post was around like Cyprus is closing down. And that kicked off a discussion that I ignored until it got into a conversation around the absolute necessity of UI automation. And again, we've talked about this forever, but I made my point. I've been saying, I looked this up for 15 years, 15 years. I've been saying the following thing and people agree with me when I say it, but it does not change. Our industry has an unhealthy infatuation with UI automation. Oh, <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm, I, pre- I'm preaching to the uh, AB testing choir right now. Right. So. I, I'm just like, no. So, so let me add some drama and push back. <laughs> like, what did you say? Unhealthy, unhealthy infatuation with UI automation. Yeah. I think that's bullshit. I think it's like, uh, I'm waiting. Tragic, tragic sickness. Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> right? Something along those lines. And like, maybe 15 years ago was an unhealthy infatuation. Today, maybe it is a tragic sickness uh, yeah, it, of, I, of UI automation. An unhealthy. I think the difference is like the, the person who's been told he's dying from cancer in six months versus the person who eats a little bit more sweets than they're supposed to. Like, no. <laughs> So it's funny, and I brought this up before, and I want to move on to the uh, to some more stuff yeah. about the article. But yeah. I remember I posted that on LinkedIn once in response. To, again, I don't ninety nine percent of the of the posts I see on LinkedIn that I want to jump in on because I think they're just blatantly wrong. I don't bother because I just don't want to deal with it. There's no reason for me to fight that fight anymore. I am so moved on. But sometimes I go, you know what? I want to share my thoughts here. Once I shared this exact same comment and then, uh, or yeah, I think it's probably the exact same thing. And again, I got some folks on the other side, the folks that believe in that there will always be a massive number because it needs to be for their livelihood. Uh, uh, armies of dedicated testing specialists agreed with that because again, they're also anti, yeah, it's a big generalization. This particular person, anti-automation in general, but again, we agreed on that point. And an argument I got was, all right. One is, you know, it's two. It depends on business. It's the whole depends on business context thing. And well, maybe you have to test the UI because of blah blah blah. And you know, my argument against it is, well, if you if you really if you have to test through the UI, you have other stuff to fix. But they say we can't fix that. So people they they dig a hole, dig an excuse. No, no, uh, but to, to be clear, you do have to test through the UI. You don't automate test through UI. That's freaking stupid. For sure. But there was another thing I wanted to throw at you. Before. Well, actually, actually, with one exception, which you have recently talked about, and they talk about in this article, right? Which is the codeless automation, which Ooh. which which is a bizarre concept. Right, and it's really just a fancy term. I believe it's a fancy term for record and playback. Yes, which I think today's record and playback is so much different than the horrid record and playback from the future. In fact, I'm going to read the whole right. comment I wrote. I wrote two lines. 
I will take this moment to restate something I've been saying for the last 15 years. Our industry has an unhealthy infatuation with UI animation. Second sentence. In my opinion, the record and playback of today is more than sufficient for any web UI testing and that any need for extensive UI tests written in Selenium Cypress Cafe could probably benefit more from a re-architecture than a bunch of fragile tests. Amen, brother. <laughs> you know, not, oh. not, not surprising. But I want, I want to throw a comment at you for uh, someone who I respect a lot said, personally, I feel like the infatuation with UI tests, the use by words is great, is a manifestation of Conway's law. Uh, Conway's law is one that says your organization will match your architecture. Said when you hire a bunch of S debts, you end up people who will write them because they own them, which becomes status quo overall because people associate QA testing with rights tests and the most common ones that anyone with a QA title write up end up being UI tests. So it's a going back to this brings us back to the article because we have testers. And because testers don't want to do bullshit testing, they end up writing a bunch of UI automation because it's almost like that's what they're expected to do. We have this, maybe, I'll hypothesize here, we have a self-fulfilling prophecy where we have a bunch of these fragile UI tests because that's what the testers are supposed, these testers are supposed to write and it circles and it's one of the circles of hell. Right. It's essentially, we have to do this like, if you boil it down, it's like we have to do this because we've always done it. Yes. Right? Which is wrong. One of software's uh, wonderful tautologies. So what makes this whole thing more interesting, rewinding the stack, is someone on our Slack channel group, you, which you can go to moderntesting.org and find the link. It works for at least 25 more days because I just updated it. And thank you to those who remind me when it's, I don't know why my reminders aren't working, but remind me to update the link from Slack, et cetera. So someone posted a link from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, which I found fascinating and contrary to something you, Brent, said five minutes ago, mm. where you said that eventually software testing will be at a point where there's so few we can consider it dead. What they're showing, what, what the... U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics shows is that software testing as an occupation, as a dedicated occupation, will grow by 25% between 2021 and 2031. Okay. Now, what's missing from that is software development overall growing by, you know, 100% and it's growing by 25% or is, uh, you know, I don't have that the full context of that number, but... What this uh, says is we're going to have another 400,000 testers in the U.S. than we have right now in 10 years. Um, will we? See, I think that the thing that's interesting is the prevailing assumption, and, and this, is, this is the thing I guess I would question, is that when, when that article tracks that trend, right, to what degree are these testers actually doing the work that uh, we are accustomed to them doing, right? Um, like even the article you sent uh, talks about, right, we're going to be less software testers and more uh, quality and engineers. Actually, I'm, I'm going to backtrack this whole thing. I'm going to leave this part in the podcast, but I just looked closer here and never mind as, Ro as Roseanne, Rosanna Dan, may have said at one point the article actually shows the page is actually showing statistics for they've grouped software developers 
quality assurance analysts and testers into one group, saying that entire group's growing by twenty five percent. So maybe maybe it's wrong. I don't. We don't. I don't have the breakdown to get it right. Got it. So we'll continue looking at this data. I think it's interesting. I think if you look at the industry, I'm you know maybe it's. I don't know. I don't know what to think here, but worth looking at, look, worth doing research. Again, I don't think testing's going away immediately. I don't think any organization should fire their testers because they've heard that not having testers makes you faster. And, and I, I know you don't believe that, Brent, either, but mm-hmm. we do believe that as teams get better at delivery, that the need for that dedicated testing specialist uh, decreases. And in some cases, it is not needed. And that's something I've been saying forever. No new information. Let's go on. Okay, fair. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Anything else to add on that, Brent? Yeah, I was just looking at the article, right? Just to go through it quickly. They're saying record and playback, DevOps and agile development. Right. The, the one important thing I think that is missing from here is fast feedback loops. They talk about agile developments, but they're specifically talking about testing early and often, making it something continuous or discrete, right? But the the thing is, the real secret about agile development is adaptability. You don't waste your time on things that don't matter. Like there is one exercise I just did recently with, with my own team where uh, we're building a whole new product and I put them in a room, created a basically very much um, Eric Reese style, right? We, we designed an MVP. We created, uh, we identified early adopters, started putting them in a room and getting their feedback. And now I just sit back and, and my team doesn't argue with me anymore around, oh, we got to do this. Right, because they're hearing it from the customer directly, as we've as we've said in the in the MTP principles, the customer is the only one qualified, and and I can see it from my own team's behavior that they realize that because everything else has been theory. Let's let's drill in on that a bit. Sure, I have been I have kept my Eric Reese book on my desk a lot recently because I've been quoting it a lot and holding it up and showing pictures of it. I hate even talking about agile as a thing because it's just been so bastardized and agreed and screwed up and it's hard i, I want to talk about fast feedback loops and being adaptive being lean and being lean and learning and being the the value of the engineering effort being in learning and i'm having some discussions around you know what that means there is some fear sometimes to deliver something that is not perfect And then I just happened to read an article today. I didn't link to it anywhere, but it talked about perfect being, didn't say perfect being the enemy of good, but you're never going to be perfect or at least now and learn. And someone said to me, which is, well, I'll tell you what I said in a second, but I talked, I was talking about doing a release with just to a couple teams didn't have a lot of oomph but would it generate a lot of organizational learning via the onboarding process, via, via a whole bunch of things. Okay. And the comment I heard in a discussion was you only get one chance to make a good first impression. <laughs> and, and I'm curious, I'll tell you what I said in a second. 
while I agree with the statement in its original context, I do not think it applies to software. Oh, no. Uh, it, okay, is it my turn to to reply? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Brent. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're right. You only get a good ch- you only get one chance to make a good first impression, okay? But my counter would be, all right. Uh, what's your evidence that the second impression isn't good enough or the third or the fourth or the fifth? When when I see that, Right. I remember back in the day, and I'm pretty certain I've talked about this, when when Google first came out and it was before I went to Bing, right? People were like, ah, Google's getting into the OS, right? What a bunch of idiots. Like we have 40 quadrillion lines of code and, you know, uh, we have more man hours baked into Windows NT than have ever existed in the planet history right they were just saying like that's an impossible task why would why would google do that and i remember my manager specifically talking about the search engine and they're like it's buggy af why the 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 quality is just awful people are going to abandon it and i remember talking to him and i'm like yeah you're full of crap dude you do not understand what you're talking about because if that were true the stock price would be tanking. And what ended up happening is Google, uh, because they were did a very good job on their telemetry, they did a very good job on fast feedback. The experience that customers had, the, the first time through, yeah, it was buggy. But you know what? The second time through, all of those bugs were gone. And the second time through, a lot harder to find a new bug. And, and that second time through was not that long after the first time through. It wasn't. It was just like two weeks later. And so what ended up happening is those customers did not walk away with a view of this product, this shit. They walked away with a view. The quality is visibly improving in front of their eyes, right? They walked away with a net positive, not a net negative. But the secret is the fast feedback loop. Yes, if the bug stays there for three years. Oh, yeah. After, Not even the bug. It's like, this would be great if it could do X. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it does X in a week. And then it does right. X and Y in two weeks and X and Y and Z in three weeks. Like, oh my God, this just gets better and better. I want to keep going and back and using this. It is so hard from my experience. I have not yet, maybe you have, I have not yet found a way to convince people that that what they are proposing is significantly more risky than what I am proposing. But it's really hard to convince them of that without them experiencing it. From my, from, right, I could send them to Ryan, uh, Ryan Aronson's book, right? But even then, it's, it's so challenging to battle. Well, yeah, that's a great thing, but it's all theoretically or, you know, my product's a snowflake or, or those type of things. Those arguments are difficult to push back on. Yeah. So when I heard someone say you only get a, in regarding a software release, you only get one chance to f- make a first impression. My immediate answer is that phrase can go. <coughs> I agree with the sentiment. <laughs> Perhaps not. It's okay. It, it was a conversation with someone uh, who took it. Uh, they didn't, they weren't offended. 
Ah, got it. The 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 the, the, I think the answer was something like "done." That phrase is, <laughs> and then we had a discussion around why. So there is, and this is really a learning. This is a gap, like in crossing the chasm sort of gap or a learning curve. You see the same thing come up when people uh, argue against us when we say only the customer can evaluate quality. It is difficult if you haven't done it yet to make the jump from we got to get this right to we got to learn as fast as we can. We got to have that fast feedback loop. It's a jump teams have to make. Like we have to get this as like back in the old days, we would test the crap. We would do the bug count coming in as less. Okay, we can ship. You know, shipping that way now is irresponsible. And but it takes like look at the argument we get against that. Like it's important for me as the tester to evaluate product risk for my stakeholders and make sure I'm making the best. They will do a crap ton of work and the customers will get a product. And as Eric Reese would say, and I don't know if I'm a disciple, a follower, or a fan, or a reader, or a believer in Eric Reese, but what he or would all say, of the friggin' above, he would say, and he has said, show me a product with no bugs, and I'll show you a product that shipped too late. Yes, or still hasn't shipped. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a jump to make, right? You go from okay, I, this has to, be, I have to do, I have to do all this work to make sure I do my due diligence to. We have the ability to, if, we, if something's wrong, I can change it in 10 minutes, in, a, in an hour versus, and just making that jump and being able to say the focus is on fixing forward versus fixing ahead. That's a big jump that a lot of teams need to make. I think it's probably uh, the most, maybe one of the most difficult jumps to make in I hate to use the word agile in adaptive delivery. I'm going to call it adaptive delivery with a capital A and probably also the one blocking the most teams and the one that gives teams the most benefit. When you learn as a software organization to deliver, we do man. When you learn as a software organization to deliver with fast feedback loops and count on fast feedback loops and rely and use those as part of the way you deliver, that's a big, that's a, that's a jump. That's a, that's a lockstep jump in your maturity and your capability and your quality. Okay. Given that you just said that, hold yes. on to, hold on to that thought because a well-known living expert in testing uh, did a comment in that same thread. I wish to share that comment. Testing is not quality engineering. Right. Again, this is a well-known testing expert. Okay. True. Testing is learning about the product so that the people designing, developing, and managing it can decide whether the product they've got is the product they want. Okay. Yeah, I just hate that because I don't I don't want to go into No, no, all no, the no, things. no. I want you to remember what you just said about Eric Reese. Yes. Okay. My point isn't around where you and I agree on test as the people who provide information. Yeah. Right. You and I agree that that's <sighs> bullshit. It's okay? total crap. But this well-known testing expert is claiming that testing is learning about the product so that peop the people designing it, developing and management, managing it can, can decide whether the product they got is the product they want. Okay. Okay. 
given what you said about Eric Reese, and in my view, the testing expert's own definition of testing, is testing jobs going away? God, I sure as hell hope so. ASAP. Well, well, no, they should be the proper kind of testing. They should be modern testing. They should be experimentation testing. The way you do what that person described is analytics, data analysis, fast feedback loops. You don't do it by holding on to the product and, and, and making sure it gets your once over for your stakeholders to make the decision on whether it releases or not. But my, my Apply argument- what he said to the actual real type of testing as tests are real testing from an experimentation and right. uh, metrics point of view. And I actually think it's kind of accurate. I know. Well, okay. So it depends on how you stretch it. Like, Cause my I, view, <laughs> I'm, my squ- view I'm squinting hard. My, my view is the Eric Reese model, right? That migrates over to the, to the product manager's job or, or it's a portion of the developer's job, right? Sure. It, it's but, like but Brent. having it, having an in-house person who, who again <laughs> is not the customer. It's the ad, not, not even the champion of the customer as, as your um, meme-ish slide details it, it i'm like why would i ever hire such a person described on that one i would rather have my people have direct connection with the the customer and not have some some in between like the product the product i want is not the one on paper the product i want is the one that actually adds a value stream that i can make a stable business plan off of it's, it, that is an anti-modern testing comment, unless you squint and stretch it to be uh, testing as experimentation. And then, of course, this... Um... Because only the customer can tell you if it's the product they want. Your stakeholders can't. Right. And, and certainly having, having someone in-house, and, unless they're the ones going out and talking to, to the customer, they're not going to be able to do that. But I'm going to tell you that job has traditionally been viewed as marketing, not testing. So, so this is the yeah. same thing. And again, this is and sorry, and listeners actually not sorry, but this is where we're at. This is a conversation we've had. The people who want to be doing the testing, like Brent and I used to do in the '90s, want they don't want to do anything different. They want to test like it's 1997, and that's fine. They're very good testers for 1997. The world needed those in 1997. Software, most software, much software is delivered differently today and no longer benefits from that kind of tester. Yes. Yes. I mean, we're not here. Well, as we've said many times before, we're not here to kill testing. We're basically saying the motive, like, that's the way the wind's blowing. What, Deal with what, it. What's rough here is that Brent and I, again, going back to Myers-Briggs, part horoscope, part science, mostly horoscope, but INTPs, we hate inefficiency. And when we see that, we see this, again, fast feedback loops, we love them because they're super efficient. When we see little blockers come into that feedback loop, why am I waiting for this? We get really, really mad. Yes. There's no need for it. What the hell are we waiting on? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I told I have told my team, done is my second favorite four letter word, and wait is absolutely my least favorite four letter word. I like that. I like that. <laughs> we weaved around that and uh, got some good um, segues back and forth. Repeated a lot of the stuff, but honestly, 
it's good stuff to repeat. You know, every podcast isn't about the same stuff. We talk about st- stuff differently, hoping that some of this will stick for those that maybe haven't got it yet. At least one person someday. One person someday. Yeah, I. it's tough. We're not av- We're just trying to tell stories and get people to understand why we think the way we do. And here we are. Testing is maybe a dying profession. Maybe not. We may never know. There may be testers, um, like as you called out, in 25% growth in tech field. There was, right, the AI bit uh, is interesting. Well, if I could hypothesize on growth in general, and again, the, the paper was everyone, I think tech is going to grow quickly. I think, you know, that original statistical study was 21. We're seeing generative AI become a very interesting thing, interesting thing to many companies. We are, I I think there's, like I've said before, we are on the edge of some significant advances in software. I'm not going to give away spoilers. I listened to an, listened to the audio book of The Origin on my hike a few weeks ago. And there's an AI in that book. And it's, I'm not going to give away anything. The, the book is, the audio book, the book is not great, but fun. But there's an AI in there. It makes you think about things AIs could do. And then I watched the Mission Impossible movie, which has an AI in it last night. And it's, it's funny. I think we're going to look back in 10 years and look at what AI actually is then and just laugh at what fiction made it out to be here in 2023. That'll be interesting. But like I said, uh, AI isn't taking jobs away. So people that use AI are, I think there's going to be a lot of people, please don't call them prompt engineers, but there's a lot of people building generative AI models to help solve significant customer problems or, or new problems we haven't thought about, but maybe with fewer engineers than we would today. So it's, I think there's a shift. Not only is there a growth of tech, but there's a shift in what people are doing in order to deliver value that solves customer problems in the next 10 years. I yes. don't know, 10, 10 years ago, we could not have imagined what's going on now, nor will, so these, these predictions on growth are, they're, they're a best guess. I do predict right now that there will be churn in the industry. You know what? I'm I'm slightly less pessimistic on this than I was a little while ago. Like um, my team, we are a few weeks away from shipping our first actual uh, end-to-end product that is heavily reliant on LLM. Cool. And and I will tell you, like there's language I shared a little while ago, right? That LLM is kind of a schizophrenic at some part it's a genie one part it's a parrot and another part is an sme and so now there's actually even language like i would call up one of my ics and i'm like oh my god the genie is pissing me off it's it's like you you add i changed the sentence from is something something to are something something right it was grammatically incorrect but just that one uh tense change completely changed the output It's fascinating, but I will absolutely agree. Those who don't join 
or understand this 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 change and have have the ability to quickly learn. If they get behind, I don't see how they will ever catch up. I see the way the industry is going forward. The people who are, I think, the next most at risk of being laid off are those who have not figured out how to learn and execute off of those learnings quickly. Absolutely. And one thing I talk about a lot, even in, I talk about a lot, I won't give examples, is the need to be a generalist in software is just becoming more and more important. I've been talking to a lot of uh, new in career or about to be new in career folks. And I bring up the fact that I spent the first five, seven, eight years of my career writing in C only. I just wrote C code and eventually added some assembly. And that was about it for the first, you know, seven years of my career, maybe more. Today, working on software today, writing in one language all day, probably getting rare. And then in addition to that, you're not just writing code, you're gluing technologies together. You're, you're configuring web services and, and, you know, YAML and gluing this to that and doing an API here to compress this to there. It's changing. And I think with generative AI and, you know, who knows what other tools coming on that the ability to be able to do a bunch of different things comfortably is going to be a key in being successful in the long term. Yeah. Agreed. You're making a face. I know that maybe I'm, maybe I'm way wrong. No, anyway, no, you're, you're, uh, you are totally correct. Cool, man. Well, let's do the mailbag next time. If we get, unless something else comes up, I don't know, but I think, uh, we no, talked this, a lot about this was invigorating. It was it, lots to think about. I think we talked about some old stuff and got some new ideas in there. Uh, we'll see how good it ends up when I finish editing, but probably pretty good. Probably this is the bed ca- best podcast from AB testing. You've listened to t- um, one of the today. best AB testing podcasts of today. Right. If Let me do. Me. Actually, we just, we have just a few okay. more minutes. Bonus material. I'm trying to find the article. I lost it. One more thing that the test expert mentioned. I would well, question is test expert something that someone has a title Someone assigns to themselves something that's assigned by a community or like where does, how does one become a test expert? Well, in this particular case, I'm, I'm leveraging the fact that by the, by the, the people who invoke quotes of the test expert. Short answer community is, is the one I'm using. Sure. Um, Feed me the quote. All right. So they quoted something from the article. Quality engineers will need to ensure business factor quality into every aspect of the SDLC and increasingly the value stream management process. And the expert came back with three sentences. That's not what testers do. That's what management does. Testing is not a dying profession. Okay. Again, straw mans <laughs> against straw mans. It's fine. Well, I'm, I'm just like, okay, if testing isn't going to care about the, the the value stream management or the impact of the business, right, principle number one, 
and and testing's job is essentially to be the internal expert that the team has gotten the product they want. It, it, honestly, I don't see how how they can conclude test is not a dying profession. Well, right, because there are so matter so many better ways in today's world to achieve those goals. Well, this is the thing that, and again, we're going to end here, but this is what bugs me the most about some of the experts is they pride themselves on critical thinking, yet they can't take a step back and say, what are some ways which this may or may not be true? What are some, is this, is this thing I'm talking about is the execution of this, the only way this statement can be true. And that's the statement that's being made here. And you and I are saying, hey, there are other ways that may be more efficient. And that comes up a lot when we talk about these things. They say, nope, that won't work for me. And I, like when I say teams are shipping software without writing UI tests or teams are shipping software without having dedicated testers, they go, nope, that won't work. I take a step back. Look, teams are doing this. Can you imagine a scenario where this is true? Because it is. So check your bias. Check your heels digging in. Think about a scenario where this could be true and apply some freaking critical thinking and figure out if you need to adjust the way you're thinking. Can you, what they're really saying, in my context, which I refuse to change any views on, this statement is true or false. Right. This is from people who say they, they are driven by context and they are critical thinkers, but they're not applying those things when talking about subjects like this because- if this were true, if software testing was a dying profession, and this is the end, it's one, it's worse, like it's bad. If you are, if you think the only thing you could ever do is software testing, you see this article, you go, well, that can't be true. And I refuse to believe it because my livelihood is on this. And now think you're in a position where you're an expert and your livelihood is based on people being in this profession that cannot die. Otherwise, you don't, you can't make any money because you refuse to do anything else. Of course, you're going to dig your heels in. Of course, you're not going to use a critical thinking. Of course, you're not going to pl- apply any context or perspective. Well, it was a Mark Twain quote. I forget it. It was something around a man's a opinion uh it's more wittier than what i'm doing but a man's opinion is directly related to their incentive right it's essentially something new comes out their opinion of that new thing is going to be directly related to how well that enables them to continue to do their job right yeah that Um, was that was stellarly quoted but yeah, I always I'd, say, you know, behavior, uh, my quote is uh, behavior comes from motivation. Got to discover what that motivation is. This one, it's crystal clear what that is. I don't know the Mark Twain quote, but one of our listeners can find it and post it on our Slack group. Yes. All right. All right. Okay. That has been episode 184. Believe it or not, the countdown to 200 continues. I'm Mr. Weasel. And I am Brent. Well, I can know.